Welcome to The Bridgehead with Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. Now, the situation we're going to discuss today is one that many people haven't actually heard of, and a lot of people, when they think of New York City, they think of the World Trade Center, they think of the Statue of Liberty, they think of Ellis Island, but what a lot of people might not think of is the fact that actually New York City has the highest abortion rate in the Western world. In fact, it has an abortion rate as high as Russia, seven out of ten pregnancies and in abortion. It's an unbelievable number when you stop to consider it. New York City alone, not New York State, New York City has aborted more than four million preborn children since abortion became legalized. And these numbers are not only staggering, but they haven't gone down. In fact, the uh, governor of New York State, um, um, Governor Cuomo, he has been trying to get abortion even further legalized. He wants to legal legalize late-term abortion because apparently he thinks there's not enough abortions yet in New York State and New York City. So what we have is a situation where essentially uh, New York City is the ground zero for the killing of preborn children in the entire United States. And of course, this presents a unique challenge to pro-life activists. Now we know that pro-life activists started actually their very first rescue uh, back in 1988 in New York City, uh, but Since then, pro-life activists have moved into the city to try and find out the best way they can to save babies in New York City. One of these is Chris Slattery, who runs EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers, and he's been on the front lines of trying all sorts of different methods to lower the abortion rate in New York City and save as many babies as he can. He's a veteran of Operation Rescue, as so many of the pioneer pro-lifers are, and I first met him actually last September when I was in California for the International Pro-Life Youth Conference, and I was I was picked up from the airport by a uh, a member of the survivors group there in California, and I was picked up with Chris. And every 20 minutes or so, he would whip out his phone and say, uh, Bronx Pregnancy Services, and he would set up an appointment with another girl. So I, I, I thought then that I wanted to talk to him once about how he managed to convince abortion-minded women in a city where so many women, the majority of women, have abortions, exactly what it was that he did and what arguments that he used. And he he tells some extremely chilling stories, but I think that you'll find this conversation as enlightening as I did. Tell us a bit about how you got involved in the pro-life movement. Yes, the oh, the start was in the late 70s, and at that time I had uh, just been come back to my faith over the uh, mid to to late 70s, and I I was intrigued by the powerful preaching of of Mother Teresa and Pope John Paul II, and then uh, later the Archbishop of New York, and then the fact that um, I discovered um, with a little research that New York was the abortion capital of the Western world, and this famous abortionist came out and um, he became a prominent pro-lifer from New York, Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of a lot of different things that 
compelled me to get involved. And then I, I attended my first March for Life in 1980, met some of the pro-life activists at some of the Human Life International conferences. And then I started um, sidewalk counseling in the early 80s and then started EMC or expectant mother care and uh, started organizing it in 1984. And we opened in 85, so 30 years ago. So we've counseled 150,000 girls and women over these years, one by one. We've counseled them primarily in our offices, but also out on the streets. We've been, in the last seven or eight years, also doing more aggressive sidewalk counseling. It could be at as many as five or six places simultaneously in the summer when I have a, a bigger crew in one or two places uh, during the uh, school year uh, daily. But we've had as many as a dozen different pregnancy center locations over the years. We're working in about four right now and uh, focus, you know, marketing and advertising changes over time. Of course, now most women reach pregnancy centers through online, mm-hmm. a, a totally different uh, approach than in the past. And, you know, so the, the competition is a little different than it used to be with the abortion clinics. And we are, um, you know, we're, we're making progress here, but, you know, we're still in a, in a market where every day there are over 250 abortions performed. And in a, on an annual basis, there are about 70,000 abortions done here. A rate of abortion, and that's double the uh, American national average, so we have about 30, 38.4% in the last reported year, 2013, 38.4% mm-hmm. of all pregnancies that don't miscarry end in an abortion, so more than one out of three. It's down from over 40%, that was the pattern for over 40 years, so okay. we've made some headway, but it's still staggeringly bad. What did you do prior to doing this? Because obviously most people don't plan for a full-time career in, in talking women out of abortions. What did you do before you were uh, uh, running these crisis pregnancy centers? Well, I studied business management and liberal arts in college, and then I went into advertising. And I was in ad- advertising agencies for t- for half of a 13-year career in advertising, and then I went into advertising sales. Mm -hmm. The last big job was with The Economist magazine, and I had, you know, worked across the Northeast and uh, a lot of big uh, name companies, and, you know, when I started getting active with my pro-life work and then Operation Rescue, which um, came about in the late 80s. Then I really started getting arrested and got it a lot, got a lot of publicity. There came a point where I got fired from a job because I had been overexposed as far as they were concerned. And, you know, so I, I, I went full time with Pro Life in 1990. What was it like to be part of Operation Rescue? I've talked to a lot of people about. Uh, Operation Rescue and the things that happened in those days. I've talked to you know Jeff White, Troy Newman, Bill Calvin, uh, quite a number of other people, and everybody's experience is, is a bit different, and everybody had a different reason for being there. But that was, uh, you know, truly activism in which you had to be willing to give up everything just by showing up. 
what was it that sort of spurred you from regular pro-life activism into, you know, getting arrested and, and, and participating in the rescues? Well, as, a, as one of the uh, few pro-life leaders in New York City, uh, when Randall Terry came into town, I felt an obligation to, to help lead uh, the program, and I felt called by the the messages. I felt uh, that this was um, the time for this movement. This was the uh, moment in time where we had to try and do whatever we could because many of us had given up on politics and had realized that um, there was a time to see if we could shut down the industry with direct action mm-hmm. uh, and nobody of course knew where it was going to end up there were in the end over 75,000 arrests in a three or four year period many people spent a long time in jail I, I had three arrests my wife had three not that many you know I was always working so I couldn't afford to take off a lot of time uh, but I did suffer a big lawsuit I had a major um, lawsuit against me for leading Operation Rescue. In the end, I was fined $50,000 and $157,000 in attorney's fees from the abortionists. But in the end, I never paid it. In the end, I escaped it somehow. And the, the trial and the, uh, and the lawsuit went on for about 15 years. Now, I've had attacks by attorney generals as well against our pregnancy centers. I've had three subpoenas, well, four if you include two from one attorney general. So three different attorney generals have come after our organization. New York City has uh, erected laws to stop our sidewalk counseling and to, and to regulate our pregnancy centers. So I've, I've almost, for 30 years, I've almost always had an active court case with some, some government agency after me for doing my pro-life work. Right. So, you know, if I hadn't probably gone to jail with Operation Rescue and then, you know, that changed my heart and my mind and committed me to doing this work full-time, it's been 25 years full-time, uh, you know, I don't think I would have ever left the advertising business. I think getting fired and getting sued and going to jail was instrumental in me committing to the cause. Uh, I can't say that it was because I was, you know, some kind of a hero, or, but I, I just felt I had to follow my conscience that I was, some of us have to commit to, to doing this work full time. Mm-hmm. Why is the abortion rate in New York City so much higher than everywhere else? Because as you pointed out earlier, like it's not even just slightly higher. It's astronomically higher than the rest of the country. Isn't it? I think it's because uh, the church here is is lame. Uh, the churches, uh, and, I speak, and I speak of both Catholic and, and non-Catholic Christian churches, they just talk a great game and they don't do much. They don't, they don't offer uh, any effective programs to mothers in, in the churches. Uh, there's a little marketing promotion of alternatives to abortion facilities. There's little activism in these in the churches of New York. That's that's one. Number two, I mean, we have we have a, a high cost of living here. 
and we have a high rate of poverty here. We have a lot of immigrants, and we have a lot of marketing and slick uh, partnerships between the abortionists and the schools. We have a, a school system, public school system, that um, feeds us the, uh, a million students, and then with very close ties to Planned Parenthood in these schools. So clinics uh, get a lot of referrals from the schools, and so there's a big tie-in there. Planned Parenthood is, like, untouchable. They're totally Teflon in this in this city and state. Uh, I just went to a demonstration just literally yesterday in favor of funding Planned Parenthood. I mean, I wasn't. I was there countering that, mm-hmm. you know. This was on a Sunday, yeah. It was inside of a Planned Parenthood in Westchester County, New York, which is uh, a suburban community uh, just north of New York City. And uh, about seven politicians rallied to fund Planned Parenthood. Right. So that's the kind of rallies we have in New York. Not to defund, but to fund. <laughs> and so we're, we're, in a, we're in a city uh, that has poverty, high rates of unemployment in, in certain communities, a very high rate of poverty, uh, tie-ins with the schools, heavy promotion of contraceptives and, and sex outside of marriage in the schools, which inevitably leads to more pregnancies and more abortions. Uh, we have, you know, we have a, our moral climate for the family has declined tremendously here with um, little preaching about the value of marriage and abstinence in our churches. Uh, and, of course, you're not going to reach large parts of the population's of the, you know, of the sexually active in church, they're not in church, right? Uh, so I mean, you're not you're not going to send a strong moral message through the churches to the sexually active. They're already lost. But you don't have any civic leaders that are calling out the high abortion rate. Nobody, nobody makes. It's never news. Uh, only on a rare occasion do we succeed in getting some news about this. You know, we've aborted four and a half million children in one city. That's four awesome. and a half million in one city in 45 years. New York State legalized abortion on July 1st, 1970, okay, three years before Roe v. Wade. So that was the January 22nd, 1973 Supreme Court ruling, along with Doe versus Bolton, that basically opened the floodgates of abortion nationwide. So what you're Most doing... Most of your listeners know that, you know? You know. So what you're doing with your system of crisis pregnancy centers is basically an emergency response team, but if you don't have help from the churches and you don't have help from civic leaders, how does one go about creating a culture of life? Like the, I'm sure you've read The Catcher in the Rye. Your job sort of sounds to me like that quote from J.D. Singer, how you know he's just running back and forth at the bottom of the cliff, catching whatever children he can before they fall to their death. That sounds a bit like what you're doing in New York City. Yeah, I mean, there's not a big culture of life here. I mean, there's very few buses go down from New York City to the March for Life. We don't have an annual March for Life here, never have. We don't have a big annual events. There are some, you know, there, there are, a smattering of pregnancy centers here. Most of them just have one location. Uh, we struggle to, to maintain a handful, and uh, it's, it's, it's a mighty struggle. I mean, it's not like 
we get any funding from any diocese. We don't, or I'm a Catholic. I don't get any funding from the Archdiocese of New York that covers uh, Staten Island, Manhattan, the Bronx, and other northern counties. And then I don't get funding from the Brooklyn Diocese, which covers Brooklyn and Queens. Uh, so I'm on my own. I have to. I do get some modest support. Maybe five percent of my budget comes from little baby bottle of funding drives I do in parishes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's mostly direct mail. Mostly appeals to to donors directly that you know keep us going. But we're in a lot of debt at the moment, and we're we're struggling. I mean, there there are others that have talked about coming to New York. Uh, other national organizations that have talked about opening up pregnancy centers here. Maybe some others will eventually do it. But they're probably going to largely raise money from outside of New York. Right. I mean, we're, we're you know, uh, we, had a, we had a major crisis when somebody put up a pro-life poster in uh, 2011 uh, in, on a billboard uh, that the most dangerous place in the for uh, an African American was in its mother's womb. Right. In her mother's womb. That got people extremely upset here. And there was so much pressure on the billboard company, they took it down. Uh, there, I mean, th- this, is, this was a true statement. And I had a picture of a little girl. The parents of that little girl made sure that that ad was taken down as well. They, they were going to sue the company for using the photograph. They should have used some photograph of. Um, one of the children of photographers or something, mm-hmm. or the group that ran the paid for the ad, then said they used some model, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. from some mm-hmm. of those online um, photoshops, and, and then they got upset that this daughter was used in the photo. So that was a disaster. And so even, you know, a, pro, a simple pro-life billboard raised holy hell here in New York. Just a single pro-life board, billboard got the, all the pro-boards all, all excited. Now, Planned Parenthood is not the only uh, a player in this town, and, but they're, they're a big player. They are about to open up their fifth location here in the city of New York. They have never actually been in Queens. Queens is uh, geographically, it's got the most square miles. It's the most international of the five boroughs. And they have... Been, uh, they, they were expected to open by now. It's, it's, it's late in opening, but they had announced that they were opening last spring in Long Island City, Queens. But in fact, this uh, new $9 million facility, which was supposed to be funded in part by funds from New York City, hasn't yet opened. Before they even opened, they announced they'd be serving 17,000 clients a year. Now, I've been taking on Planned Parenthood for 30-plus years. I had My original location was around the corner from their Manhattan site. My Brooklyn location since 1999 has been in the same building as Planned Parenthood, 12-story building. I'm on nine. They're on six. And there's another late-term abortion clinic in the same building. Right. And then we're across the street from their South Bronx location for 20 years. So we've been a thorn in their side for quite a long time. But we have other big abortion um, players in this market. 
Uh, many of the hospitals, the city hospitals, uh, play a part in training abortion doctors across the country. They, they train here. They get their medical licenses here, OBGYNs, and then they go off and do abortions elsewhere. So the Planned Parenthood scandal hasn't really touched the abortion industry in New York? Oh, absolutely not. No, no politician uh, did anything with the Planned Parenthood scandal in the city of New York. There have been other scandals of, you know, there are past video stings that were done uh, in Planned Parenthood in New York City that had, didn't even touch them. They just attacked the videos as, uh, you know, at highly edited, just ridiculous. And uh, we know like Al Jazeera and Vice and all these different so-called media organizations have tried to do the same thing to crisis pregnancy centers, go undercover, you know, quote-unquote, expose the type of counseling that's given, etc. Have, uh, has your organization ever been uh, infiltrated by pro-choice? Activists? Oh, yeah, we've been, we've been stung. Yeah, we've been stung by undercover videos going back literally into the uh, 80s. That's how far back they go with those and us, yeah. The last one was about five years ago, and I expect there'll be more in the future. You never know. But and we're about to go under the auspices of a new law that's going to regulate pregnancy centers. We fought this law over five years. It was enacted in 2000. Well, it, it was passed, I should say, in, in 2011, four years ago. And we've been in court with the city over that law for four years. And we've just reached a settlement with New York City. And in a couple of months' time, the law is going to go into effect. We won a substantial part of the battle against uh, that law. We won a victory in federal court that states that uh, the city cannot, or no government agency can force a pregnancy center to disclose whether they do abortions or provide contraceptives or not. They can't force us to say what we don't do. Right. We yeah. won that on First Amendment grounds, but we do, we would have to disclose if we, if we have the appearance of being a medical facility by doing ultrasounds. Right we would have to disclose if we don't have medical services right uh supervising so what's your success we're going to have some medical supervision where we do do ultrasounds and we won't be required to disclose anything if we don't do ultrasounds so that's good what's your success rate for women who come into your clinic uh, i was with you in 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 california at the international pro life youth conference and i heard you taking calls and referring women uh, to, you know, to your offices in the Bronx and elsewhere, how many of those women who are pregnant considering abortion end up deciding not to have an abortion? I'd say about 45% of our uh, clients are turning around now, and that's with ultrasound. Now, those that say that, oh, you can turn around 90 95% with ultrasounds, it's, uh, yeah, that may be true in their markets, and they may be true where women are contemplating an abortion. But our mothers, they want their abortions yesterday. They're tough Many of them had, have had multiple abortions, and, um, you know, so our success rate has actually gone down over the years. Uh, not because uh, – it's because we're getting in a higher percentage of abortion-minded women. Um, we still save a lot of babies, but we're saving a lower percentage than in the early 80s and 90s because the – uh, you know, the impact of videotapes, et cetera, was bigger on people then. Right. 
and now people are inured to violence. They're hardened, calloused. It takes a lot more to uh, impact people. What do you find um, impacts them the most still? I think it's good heart-to-heart counseling with compassion and followed up by an ultrasound. I don't think, uh, I mean, sometimes the videos or are, are, are DVDs that we use are important and valuable to, in the process, but mm-hmm. it's... Um, What's on those videos? Well, we'll show abortion procedures. Sometimes we use the graphic ones, sometimes not. Right. We don't, you know, always go for shock and awe. You know, we, mm-hmm. we'll try to um, read each person that comes in and... And sometimes we just can't make any headway with them. They won't go for uh, a DVD. They won't go for an ultrasound. They won't watch anything. They just want their abortion. And, and if you don't give me one, get out of my way. Right. Or, or I'll roll you over. <laughs> Some of these people are just adamant, and they're going to get their abortion. And it might be number four. It might be number 10. It might be number 20. Just, you know. You've met people that Help have had that me many or get abortions. out of my way. You've met people that have had that many abortions. Yeah, we we once uh, were looking at an, a woman uh, who had already had 26. Unbelievable. You know, and she was looking for number 27, and that baby that uh, she had through us was her first born child that was born. Wow. Sad. Incredibly sad. Uh, we once had a... a, a a girl called for an abortion, and I asked her, was this for yourself? Uh, and she says, no. I said, who is it for? Uh, for my daughter. And I said, well, you sound pretty young. How old are you? 21. Wait a minute. You have a pregnant daughter, and you're 21? Yeah, I had. she said, I had my daughter when I was 12. She's nine years old. Unbelievable. So you've been doing this for a long time. So one final question. Uh, what do you see the way forward is? You obviously, you know, you at least get to see babies get saved every single month. So you see the dark side, and you also get to see, you know, the beauty of people carrying through with a pregnancy and having that child. Uh, the the debate is, is as polarized as it's ever been, and in some ways that that's good. You know, a pro-choice consensus has not swept the United States, and it still is a polarizing issue with huge numbers of people on both sides. So where do you see the way forward on, on this debate? Uh, the way forward has got to be a combination of everything, uh, politics, action, and prayer. Uh, I see more people will take to the streets and more uh, will open and operate pregnancy centers and more will fight for pro-life candidates, and hopefully there will be a pro-life president in the White House. I think that we have to have a multifaceted, ongoing, full-court press, and it's in the blue, in the um, Blue states like New York, we're just going to, you know, we have, we're, we're sucking wind and we're, we need reinforcements. We need people to come in and to New York and help us because we can't do it with our own, our own movements. All right, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, have a great pray day. Pray for us and please pray for us. And our website is emcfrontline.org, emcfrontline.org, okay? Thank you so much, Chris. God bless. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Chris Slattery of EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers. You can find him at emcfrontline.org.
www.pro-lifers.org, telling us a bit about the situation in New York City and how pro-lifers are there trying to make a difference. The website is emcfrontline.org. Check it out. And if you want to listen to any of these shows afterwards, go to thebridgehead.ca, and all these shows are posted there afterwards. So if you want to hear uh, Chris's story again or any of the past shows, they'll all be online there. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope to see you again next week.